This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your Hello, host, everyone, and Mike welcome Saddam. Welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Saddam. If you could do me a quick favor, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast and subscribe to it. That would help tremendously for growing the audience and growing the community of people that are really interested in understanding what drives them and what drives others to do what we do as people. And if you have any questions for me, please feel free to reach out to me by visiting www.crucialtalks.com or through LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, whatever is easiest for you. Now, anybody who's listened to this podcast for a little while knows that the focus of the Crucial Talks podcast is on a strength-based, positive approach to human behavior. Now, one of the things we talk about is self-transformation, how to change from something you are to something you want to be. Now, today's guest has really, he's got a fascinating story about self-transformation, and he's got a fascinating story about taking a negative, turning it into a positive, and actually having a purpose to help others. And today's guest is Sam Anthony Lucania. Now, he wrote a book called Hands Like You're Praying based on his experiences, but he is a speaker. He uh, coaches people. He's in schools. He's talking to multiple audiences trying to help as many people as he can. So without further ado, I'd really like to welcome Sam Lucania to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having well, me on, Mike. I appreciate it. This is a fascinating it. conversation because the podcast talks so much about organizations and systems and group behavior, and we, we do some stuff with the individual, but really what it sounds like you're out there doing is coming from your experiences as an individual and things you had to go through that kind of got you to this place where you could help others. So can we talk a little bit about what your past history has been, the story of your journey, the story of your journey on how you got to this place today where where you're trying to help so many people, where you've written a book, where you speak to organizations. How did you get here? That's a very good question. I got here through a lot of trial and error, a lot of failure, and a lot of pain, if I'm being honest about it. Now, I don't want to, you know, take up the entire time telling people my life story, but in order to understand and appreciate the transformation, I think it's important for listeners to know what I have been transformed from. Now, I took my first drink when I was 12 years old. I started smoking marijuana at 14 as a means of fitting in, self-medicating. I got bullied. I was picked on. I was depressed, anxious, very insecure. When I was 16 years old, I got addicted to prescription pain pills. After high school, I got addicted to powder cocaine. By the age of 22, 23 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic. And then things just progressively continued to get worse and worse after that. Uh, I've been arrested six times in my life. Uh, The first time that I was arrested as an adult was for possession. The second time was for um, prescription fraud. And then in 2013, I actually had an overdose on prescription pain pills that landed me in the ICU with a tube down my throat. And the doctors looking at my wife, telling them, telling her that they didn't know whether I was going to wake up or not. 
And then in 2015, I got arrested for the final time. I uh, went to somebody's home uninvited and took their pain medication to feed my addiction. And I got arrested for breaking and entering. And that's actually when I started writing the book. We were joking around before the podcast, um, before you started recording. And I literally started writing the book to keep myself busy because I thought that I was going to jail for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, now here I am, I've been able to kind of turn all that around, but there were a lot of components and a lot of help that allowed me to turn all those things around. And I assume that's where we're going to well, get to in a minute. Because it, it, it seems like we hear, we hear so much of people getting into ruts. We hear so much about people not being happy. We hear things about, oh, people just saying, well, I'm just stuck in this dead end job and I want to get out of it. So, you know, that seems pretty minor compared to what you went through to where you are now. And we're only talking three or four years to really transform yourself from where you were to where you want to be. And that's where I think the benefit is, is because I think there's a broader lesson here than just, hey, if you're an addict, this is how you get out of it. I think a lot of people can learn from your experience. And that's where I'd like to go is this notion of, of self-transformation and what really caused you, I mean, we know the, the story, the tactical level, the nugget that caused you to change, but what kind of thought process did you go through to actually recognize, hey, look, I've got to do something. I've got to take some sort of action on how to get from here to there, from how to get from A to B in my own, inside myself. How did you actually, one, make that decision? But two, figure out what action steps you had to take to make that self-transformation. So all my life, I kind of considered myself a victim. I was always a victim of circumstance. You know, it was always everybody else's fault. If I never would have started hanging out with those friends again, none of this would have happened. If, uh, you know, I would have been hanging out over here instead of over there, maybe I wouldn't have gotten in trouble. Well, you know, if I just had a different boss that understood me better. And I was always a victim of circumstance. And it's actually, I was at a chaplain call while I was in jail. And in jail, everybody's innocent. Everybody's always passing off their guiltiness on somebody else. And I remember chaplain looked at every single man in that room and he said to us, when are you guys going to realize that the enemy is sitting in your chair? And it was at that moment that I realized that it was nobody else's fault. I had to take responsibility for the decisions that I had been making time after time after time. And one of the decisions that I was making repeatedly over and over was the decision to try to do it alone. And I failed miserably every time. I mean, you know, there's, there's this book that tells us that pride comes before the fall. And every time I tried to do something alone, I would fail miserably and oftentimes I would end up overdosing and almost dying or getting arrested or getting fired from jobs. So I finally became sick and tired of being sick and tired, sick and tired of not really wanting to die, but not wanting to, not knowing how to live. And I did the hardest thing that I ever had to do in my entire life and I asked for help. And it's interesting, you say self-transformation, but the amount of people that helped me to get to where I am. I don't even really know if I would call it a self-transformation because I'm really not the one that's responsible for it. The only thing I was responsible for was the decision to seek out the help that I needed, people that had things that I wanted, positive mentorship. Well, and I and think that's like that. a huge lesson for everybody to learn because I, I actually see two lessons here that I personally get value from. 
The first is that you recognize that you had this victim mentality before, that you weren't taking responsibility for your decision-making. And really, I, I hear this so much, and I apply it to myself so much, and I think it's a huge first lesson, first key takeaway, is the fact that if we are accountable, if we actually say, you know what, this life is my life and the decisions I make impact that and what I have control over is me and those external factors have less of an impact on me than I actually do. Like, I, I mean, I just saw a video the other day where it was all about, hey, they may have control over this little small part of your life, but the majority of it you have control over. And I think that's a huge key takeaway because it led you to this place where you recognize that, hey, look, I can change. I have responsibility. I have accountability to myself. I can make a difference in my own life. I can make a decision and take action. And the first thing you do was recognize that you are a person just like everybody else, but being a person means you need other people. And that key is huge. So this notion of asking others for help, sometimes it comes with a stigma. And I have plenty of proof to say it's completely wrong to think this way because we are social animals. We do need other people. We have to belong in groups. It's how we've succeeded. But there is a stigma in this country and other countries where asking for help is a weakness. Now, what, what are your thoughts about that, about, about this notion of asking for help being being making you weak or, or showing weakness? I love that question. The very first thing I do when I step in front of an audience of students, and sometimes it gets a little rowdy in there and I have to settle them down. I ask everybody to do me a favor. I remind them not to say it out loud, but I ask them to think of a dirty four letter word. Once we go, I go a little bit into my story, uh, but then later on I come back around to it and I tell them, I'm, I bet nobody was willing, or I'm willing to bet that nobody came up with the word help. Because to me, help is the dirtiest four-letter word I've ever known. It's the one thing that everybody's willing to offer, but nobody wants to ask for because it makes us feel weak. And that was me. I was always afraid that if I went up to somebody and told them, hey, I'm an alcoholic, I suffer from addiction, uh, you're, I'm going to be judged, I'm going to be labeled. And now I realize that's not true. Today I know that if I go and I ask somebody for help, and they feel a certain way about whatever I'm asking them, and they don't want to help me or they're judging me, that's a problem with them, not a problem with me. And I've learned to overcome that. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten is that what somebody else thinks about you is none of your business. And all my life, I was always so concerned about, you know, am I going to raise my hand in class? What if people think that I'm stupid? It doesn't matter. It's none of my business what other people think. And once I was able to get past that, I was able to, you know, not only asked, but I was also ready and willing to accept help that was being offered. Well, I love what you said there too, because it really brings us back to this notion of people, the way we behave and the way we perceive ourselves really comes back to, to what we think other people think. And that really, it causes fear. It causes us to, to not be accountable to ourselves. It causes all these negative things. And you know, where you just gave us that great quote. And I love this quote by Thomas Cooley, who said, I am not who you think I am. I am not who I think I am. I am who I think you think I am. So even, you know, when we're thinking about other people, we tell ourselves these stories about, 
oh, this person thinks this about me, this person thinks that about me, and that's what we think we are, when in reality, a lot of times, people don't think those sorts of things. Is that what you were kind of seeing uh, or that you do see with some of the kids you try to help, some of the kids you talk to, is that they focus so much on what these people think about me when in, it may not even be reality. So I actually use that quote from Thomas Cooley when I speak and I follow it up with, to sum that up, I don't know what you thought about me, but I was always really concerned with what I thought you thought about me. And then I actually asked the students, I've had a room with 800 kids, who in here worries about what other people think about them? Be honest and raise your hand. Norm, nine out of time times, nine out of t uh, 10 times, half of the room raises their hand. I tell them, thank you for your honesty. Then I say, who in here didn't raise their hand because you were worried about what somebody else would have thought about if you raised your hand? And uh, the entire room just erupts with laughter because it's just the way that we're, you know, socially programmed these days that we constantly are thinking about other people's perception of our reality, which isn't true. And I'm, I'm also a personal trainer uh, is my day job. And I have to tell that to some of my clients sometimes, you know, they, they're afraid to walk into the gym for whatever reason. I'm like, look, nobody in here is looking at you. They're all too busy looking at themselves. Well, and that's a great point because I love the way you do that with those kids because it really comes down to this, this fact that we are the most social creature on the planet and that because we are wired the way we are, we've been wired with this forever. Like we haven't evolved the way we're biologically, cognitively wired and that's why social media has both a good and a bad side to it because it can make us feel more connected, but it could also cause us to feel more isolated. And so the fact that you're recognizing and you're helping other people recognize that we are kind of socially programmed to think about what others think about us and that being able to almost reprogram ourselves in a way that helps us recognize that I think is a good thing. Because what we want to do is not worry so much about what other people think or what we perceive they think, but really try to find those people that can help us, that can bring us to the next level, that can help us transition to something we want to be. And that's really where I love what you're trying to do with getting people to recognize that, hey, you can ask others for help. And it's not weakness. It's actually a strong self-actualization or a strong self-awareness of where we are. And that actually takes courage. It's like the opposite of weakness. Yeah. You want to talk about, you know, self-transformation and courage, try being a person like myself and many others of millions around the world that are in long-term recovery and don't drink and then go to any adult social occasion where everybody is flocking to the bar because most people are so uncomfortable in their own skin until they've got that cocktail in their hand, they don't know how to interact. And now here I am, I haven't had a mind or a mood altering substance in over three years. So when I go out now, I don't run to the bar like that. And sometimes people just, they don't even know how to respond. Like, Oh, what do you mean you're not having a drink? It's just, it's this culture now that everybody's so uncomfortable. We can't interact with each other without, you know, getting some sort of libation first. Well, yeah, and it comes back to this whole this whole thing that I talk about with us as social beings, that the way we behave, the way we make sense of what's going on around us is based on the role we're playing at the time. So when I'm at work, I feel totally comfortable 
doing what I do without a drink in my hand. When I'm at home, I feel totally comfortable doing what I do as a father, as a husband, without a drink in my hand. But if you go to a bar, if you're playing that new role, if you're, or you're just fitting into that role of being part of that group, well, that's how your behaviors are going to manifest themselves. So when we're talking about these socially acceptable behaviors, the behaviors we assign to social categories, that we assign these categories to ourselves for our behaviors, one of the notions that we talk about is this notion of a prototype. So you're, you get a new job, you go into your new job, and what you start to do in your mind is, is construct a prototype of behavior to understand how to do that job or how to fit into that company because a construction worker at one site will act different than a construction worker at another site for a different company, all based on the prototype they construct to fit into that role. Well, one of the things that I've heard you talk about is how important it is to have a positive mentor. And it seems like it goes along with this notion of a prototype to model our behavior after because it gives us a way to make sense of how we behave, right? So instead of having to grab the drink at the social hour, at the, at the social party, you have another way to behave because you've learned those behaviors. So why is it so important to have a positive mentor? For me, my work, my best decisions have always got me in trouble, at least what I thought were my best decisions. And I mean, having a positive mentor, it's, I mean, it goes back a very long time. It's nothing unique, but I didn't really you know, take hold of the idea until I got in a 12-step recovery. In 12-step recovery, we call it, call it a sponsor. Uh, a sponsor is nothing more than a mentor, and the sponsor doesn't help me not drink. Uh, the word alcohol in the 12 steps is only mentioned one time. My sponsor helps me deal with life on life's terms. When life comes at me with challenges that I can't find the answers to on Google, my sponsor is there to you know pick up the phone. And we have another saying, I can't, but we can. So I've heard that everybody is a failure alone, but no one is a success by themselves. So I surround myself now with people that have things that I want. And for me, my, my, my sponsor, my mentor has to have something in their personality, in their life, in the way they speak, the way they walk, the way they act, the way they carry themselves that I want. You know, so for me, it was important that my mentor be married because I'm married. It was important for my mentor to be a Christian because I'm a Christian. It was important for me to have a mentor that doesn't drink or do drugs because that's how I'm living my life now. So this man... And I say man because men understand what other men go through and iron sharpens iron. And if you're a lady, I would suggest finding a, another female that can mentor you because you guys understand what you go through as well. He's able to be there for me and answer those tough questions when life comes at me with those uncertainties. Well, and it sounds like – so you said a couple of things there that you're trying to find someone that has what you need. And – I kind of like that saying just because, or I like that thought process because it's not about being selfish because you're not talking about, Hey, I want their money. So I'm hanging out with them. You're talking about something in their character, something in their personality, some kind of value set they have that will hone you, that will build upon what you have, that will allow you to move forward in the direction you want to move. So it's not really about being Selfish, it's about recognizing that everybody has weaknesses or everybody has things they want to improve 
but finding somebody who you can follow that allows you to build upon that seems like the what you're saying is is a good direction to go or a way to gain some momentum in improving your life or improving your value set or improving your behavior. It is. And whatever, I mean, there's just certain things that you're going to see somebody doing and they're doing them better than you. And you're going to have a couple of responses to that. You know, a lot of times the response is resentment. Well, why are, why are they off so well? Why are they so lucky? Why, why them and not me? Uh, or the other response, depending on, you know, what their situation is, could be pride. Well, I'm doing so much better than they are. For me, when I see somebody that has something that I want is doing something the way that I want to do it, I reach out and I ask for help. I say, hey, this is who I am. I see you doing a couple of things. I would appreciate a few minutes of your time. If there's anything that I can help you with in return, great. But, you know, if you can answer a couple of these questions for me, I, I would really appreciate that. And once again, if I get denied, that just means that I asked the wrong person and I'll go find somebody else. Well, and so it does sound like there is a certain amount of self-actualization and self-awareness that, awareness that has to go with what you're talking about. I mean, you've got to really, you've got to look into yourself to figure out what do you actually need to improve, right? Now, what is that, what did that process look like for you? Like when you looked into yourself to figure out where you wanted to be in the next few years, what does that process look like? Because so many times we get bogged down on where we're at right now, and that's all we see. How do you kind of get outside of that, get outside of yourself to be more self-aware? So, I mean, that process for me has changed so much over time. So, I mean, if we take a step back to 2015, so you mentioned that I wrote a book. The title of the book is Hands Like You're Praying. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that, the first thought is what? Religion, right? Right. If the first thought's religion, I understand that, but that's actually not where I got the title from. Hands like you're praying is what the police ask you to do right before they place you in handcuffs. They tell you to turn around and then put your hands behind your back like you're praying right before they slap you in uh, bracelets. So after I got arrested, I was like, I felt that that was like God's way of saying, all right, you got the title now, start writing. So I started writing. I didn't know how to write a book. I'm not an author. I wasn't a blogger. Uh, I have a high school education. I never went to college. Uh, I did know somebody who was an author and I went to her and I said, Hey, this is my situation. I want to start writing. What, how do I write a book? What do I do? She was kind enough to ask some questions for me when it was time to build my website. Cause from my understanding, if you don't have a website, you really don't exist these days. And I knew if I was going to promote the book in some way, shape or form, a website was going to be necessary. So I went to somebody who had a website and I said, Hey, how do I do this? So it's, depending on where I was at in my life, who I was asking and what I was asking, the circumstances had always changed. And, you know, right now I'm in a, in a position where I want to reach as many students as I possibly can. And I know some other people that are, you know, out there in the, in the world doing what I'm doing. They're speaking in schools, they're reaching students, you know, they're, they're giving kids a little glimpse of hope. So now I'm reaching out to them because my vision, the book is out, the website's built and the vision has changed. So you know, it's not that I have one mentor that I go to. I might have one mentor for 12-step recovery, one mentor for uh, speaking, a different mentor for writing, a different mentor that I really value the way that he treats his wife and the kind of marriage that they have. And I talk to them about marriage stuff. So, you know, nobody says you have to just have one. Well, and that's a great point. And I think not only is this a great point for self-transformation or how we can grow in life, 
But I think there's actually an underlying point here that a lot of people can learn from in their business and their families and their communities, what, whatever they happen to be a part of. Because a lot of times, and it goes, I think it goes back to the first notion we talked about, which is asking for help is not a weakness. And it goes right in line with having, like you said, a bunch of different mentors depending upon what you need, depending upon what you are aware of. And I love it because it has all these great lessons in the fact that many people, like in a business, they tend to, some people hire, they look for someone or they hire somebody that's just like them. Why well, I tell people, you look, why are you hiring somebody just like you? You're already good at some stuff. Hire people that you're for to do stuff you're not good at. Like, where are your weaknesses? You focus on your strengths, bring people in with their strengths and everybody gets better because of it. And it kind of sounds like that's what you're talking about of finding all these different mentors with these different sets of values or different sets of behaviors that you can emulate depending upon where you see yourself going. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Absolutely. And it's a very humbling experience because I want to be, you know, kind of a master of all trades at times and think that I can do everything my own sometimes, especially when things start going well. But then I have to look back and, you know, look at the people that I have to thank that actually helped me get here. And I kind of use this as a reference too when I'm speaking in schools. It goes back to that everyone is a success by or a failure by themselves. No one is a, uh, a success alone. And I tell them, if you ever watched your favorite award show, the VMAs, the CMAs, your favorite team just won the championship, before they grab their award, what's the first thing that everybody does? They grab the mic and then they thank everybody. They thank their agent, their mom, God, their spouse, their coaches, their teammates. They're thanking all the people that helped them achieve that goal that they wanted to achieve. And more often than not, that list includes more than just one person. Well, yeah, and that's where I think it is so great on what you're trying to teach folks because a lot of times, you know, the people I meet, we get in our forties and fifties and sixties and people are just, and I think it does go back to ego where they have been good at a bunch of stuff in their life. They maybe even be successful, but they don't recognize that their weaknesses are where they can, they can improve. And so their ego keeps them from trying to seek out these people. They just don't see it. And that's why I love what you said that, being humble or having that level of humility to recognize that actually has a huge return on investment. And I love the fact you're trying to get into schools to reach as many people as you can with this message because the earlier that we can recognize this as people, I think the better off we're going to be just individually, at home, at work, in our communities, in our churches. I really think that recognizing that early helps us. So, I know that people are probably getting a lot of value from what we're saying, but they probably have a lot of questions. They probably want a lot more information. How do people get a hold of you? How do they get a hold of your book? What kind of services do you offer? What can they expect when they reach out to you? How do people contact you? Uh, so the best way to contact me is going to be my website. It's samanthonyspeaks.com. That's samanthonyspeaks.com. If you're looking to have me come in and speak with your students or community events, uh, your law enforcement, healthcare professionals, parents, uh, something recovery and 12-step related, on my website, there's an event inquiries tab. Go ahead and fill out that uh, inquiry page, and I'll get back to you within 24 hours. The book link is on my website. The book could be found on Amazon as well, available in paperback, 
hardcover and Kindle version. The title is Hands Like You're Praying. If you buy it, I ask two favors. And when you're done reading it, I really, really appreciate a review. And then I'd say the most important favor is please pass it on to somebody that you think will find value in the message. Well, thank you so much, Sam. I mean, I gained a lot from this talk. And if anybody out there, if you gained a lot from the talk, I would really, really appreciate it if you went and checked out Sam's website, samanthonyspeaks.com. Check out his book. I'm going to put links to both of those in the show notes. And if you have a chance, if you got value from this conversation or really any of the conversations we've had on the Crucial Talks podcast, I'd love for you to visit me at crucialtalks.com and connect with me via email, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, whatever is easiest for you. And if you need anything from me, if you have any questions for me, please, please, please feel free to reach out. I love talking to people about this stuff and share the podcast so that other people can gain some value from these great conversations we're having, just like the one we have with Sam. So remember, if you want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Have a great week. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.